Hello, everybody. I'm here on my own today. Well, not quite on my own. I'm here with the blogger, uh, Pete Long, who's a good friend to Chris and me. And we've uh, long wanted to have his contributions on the podcast because he's a source of great knowledge when it comes to certain aspects of genre fiction. And uh, we've got quite a lot of interesting guests and books coming up, as usual. And we wanted to uh, draw on Pete's expertise. So before we have a little chat with Pete and introduce him properly, I'm just going to read out uh, his biography. He's a blogger, primarily, a prolific blogger, I would add to that, with a deep and a broad knowledge of genre fiction, and particularly fantasy fiction in all its various forms. His blogs specialise in ludicrous theories, uh, reviews of books, uh, considerations of the various aspects of genre fiction, uh, considerations of the aspects of genre itself, he, uh, he has aspirations to become a fully published author, but hasn't managed that quite yet. And like Rick Maddock in Sandman, he seems always to be overflowing with fabulous ideas and concepts. Some of them may can make it to his blog, some of them make it to manuscripts, and others disappear into the ether. He's a cat lover, he's a glutton, he's a metalhead, and he's an aficionado of violent team sports, such as writing, I suppose, and... For a day job, he reads newspapers for a living. Uh, that last bit is actually true. I can attest to that. Uh, he was born in London, and now he lives in uh, United States of America. Which part of America are you in now, Pete? Uh, Western PA. Western PA. There you go. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure good to, to be have here. You. Yeah, good to have you. Always good to speak to you. And, well, we haven't actually spoken properly since you moved to the to the US so it's nice yeah. actually just to catch up but we do have an ulterior motive we do uh, want to draw on your knowledge your experience of of reading essentially i mean you're a super reader when it comes to genre fiction and fantasy fiction so um we'll talk a little bit about that but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on your blog because your blog has has made deep uh, great strides and it's you know got quite a bit of traction so uh, how long has the blog been going now it's called Pete's Long, Pete Long's Blog, so it's got a yep, super I decided to keep title. the title very simple. Um, it's been going for about five, six years at this point, but I think it only really took off and I only really got serious about it when I moved it to WordPress at the beginning of 2021. And did it start getting traction around that same time as well? It's been up and down and honestly i've never actually really compared my stats from my first platform and blogger to wordpress um i think i think it's sort of like taken until the last six months i think perhaps to get the occasional attention i'd like it to get well it just shows you know you, you have to work hard at these things and you are prolific and the quality is you know you, you keep the quality to a high level over a long period of time which is you know quite some achievement in itself and it does get you're being slightly modest i feel uh, about some of the traction it gets because it has had a reasonable amount of visibility as far as i can see um so why did you start the blog honestly i originally started it as a means of self-promotion as i was planning to self-publish shortly and at that point, I then looked at the manuscript I wanted to publish, decided it wasn't good enough, 
but the blog just kept on going. And um, I think the thing about the blog is it's been a very good outlet for me whilst I've been struggling with getting manuscripts to where I want them. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Why is the blog a good outlet in that respect? Because there are, you know, we've got lots of writers listening to this and many, you know, almost all of us will struggle to keep the output, the writing output at a consistent level and disregarding quality because we can edit and we can refine and we can tweak and we can polish. So the quality isn't necessarily always the issue, but the consistency of output is, is, is a real problem for a lot of, especially aspiring writers. I think, I think a thing with writing, particularly novels is sticking with an idea and refining an idea for 80,000, 100,000, 140,000 words is, it's an endurance task. And the good thing about blogging is you can blog about literally anything. So instead of having to stay on the straight and narrow of your self-appointed task, you can just write about what comes naturally. You can throw your imagination around hither and thither. And it's a good way to keep the writing habit going when the story is becoming complicated and sometimes it's easier to just let your mind rest and unjam that way i think for some writers it's possibly too easy i think it is maybe too easy for me i think for some writers they wouldn't be able to switch threads like that but i do think there's a lot to be said for having other methods of worthwhile writing that get you some happiness other than your novel do you, well, that's a, that's a, an interesting word, isn't it? Happiness. Do you do you derive happiness from from that form of writing? From blogging? Oh, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be doing it if it didn't make me happy. So, what? Tell us about the sort of things that you have covered on your blog. I mean, it's it's far and wide. So, what sort of things have been catching your interest in the last few weeks and months? Um, one thing. One thing that I'll call, I'll draw attention to something that just to you know kick it off. And if there's anything else, you can jump in and say, "Oh, this is this has jumped out as well." Was the something that originated from the conversations that we've been having on on crons on the boards, and it was about oh, what would you call it? Genre theory, I suppose. I guess that's as good a name for it as any up. Yeah, should we call it genre? There we go. We've, we've coined a, the, the term for it, genre theory. That's that's one of the things that interests me. Um, and basically, I talk to people and what is interesting, I take and run with. I think genre is a nat- naturally interesting topic because genre exists on several different planes at the same time. We have genre as publishers perceive it in terms of their commercial goals we have genre as academics see it in terms of trying to come up with taxonomies that make sense we have genres as fans perceive it in terms of their tribe and their identity and none of these 
have been particularly considered in terms of the other. Obviously, there are natural links, but when you start looking at all the definitions together and start trying to make them actually work, you have to do a certain amount of um, poking it around and basically treating it like a mental Rubik's Cube before I think you find definitions that touch on all three. And sometimes you get definitions that only touch on one, and that's fine. Um, Obviously, one of the big things about genres is sometimes you're lumping things together, sometimes you're splitting them off. And I'm a big believer that you should be able to lump and split as when necessary. If I think about your writing, and I've read your manuscripts or your completed ones, and they're very good. They are what you would call firmly ensconced in the conventions of the fantasy genre. So you have a a classical faux medieval type setting with low magic, what what they call low magic, uh, knights brought low, um, taverns, you know, that sort of thing, castles and uh, scurrilous um, plots and, and conspiracies being undertaken in hushed corridors of power in in shady castles that sort of thing so the regular sort of thing you'd expect in fantasy um but you're right you i i often feel that genre fiction so the sort of thing that we cover on this podcast of science fiction but also fantasy horror which is a bone of contention with with Bean, who isn't here to say his piece, but he he, he will do in the future. Um, but also, you know, you could expand that to magical realism. You could expand that to speculative, maybe speculative historical fiction, like, so things like Fatherland and, uh, and such things. Um, so you can play around with it. The one thing I seem... Uh, the thing that sort of coalesce it, the thing that uh, unites genre fiction is that the people who follow genre fiction can't decide on anything. No, they can't, although I've never met any group of people who could decide on anything. I mean, it's economists who have the famous joke about if you ask a group of three economists for... Ah, did I just lose connection? I think I just lost connection. So, well, I'll start from the beginning anyway. Um... No, they they don't, although I've never met any group of people who agree about anything. I mean, it's economists who have the joke about if you ask a group of three economists for an opinion, you'll get five opinions back. Um, And it's the same with genre fans. It's the same with sports fans. I've no group of people agrees about anything. I think perhaps with genre, it's more pronounced because... Half the time, we can't even decide what the definitions we're talking about means. Yeah, well, because, as you said, you've got the publisher's definition, which is to do with marketability. You've got the fan's definition, which is how they sort their various bits of literature and film into the different categories that they like to enjoy or that they they bracket together for maybe, you know, various thematic reasons or character or universe reasons. And... Yeah, it's 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 very difficult to 
to unite around that. So, I mean, we'll consider the the horror question. Bean always says that when we consider, you know, horror should stand apart from science fiction and fantasy, and it often gets lumped in there erroneously, purely because I suppose in in this sort of the mainstream conventions of horror, you just think, oh, it, vampire, werewolf. Frankenstein's monster or some you know something like that some big bogeyman that's out to get you whereas he would say and and that's obviously a speculative creature so it's speculative it's a fantasy creature therefore it's lumped in with the other stuff but in actual fact horror is an emotion is 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 his argument and the more we've thought about that we I've I've found it to be a convincing argument and it doesn't necessarily have to be the speculative element there and, you know, a vampire and a werewolf in some ways is a pretty blunt instrument when it comes to writing horror. I, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, I've been going through a period recently of reading a lot of, like, 30s pulp, which is a period of fiction where the boundary lines between fantasy and horror are very, very thin. But obviously fashions change. I mean, the argument that Chris was presenting about horror being different because horror being an emotion is it is what led me to my favorite piece of genre theory at the moment which is that you can divide the building blocks of genre into three types the action type whether a book is a romance or a mystery or an action or a thriller the, the setting, whether it's fantasy or sci-fi or contemporary or historical, and then the mood, whether it's horror or comedy or tragedy or drama, and then you align those all together, and that's the type of book it is, and some combinations we have come to recognise because they are very commercially viable and fandoms have grown up around them, and so we have the genre of fantasy, which, you know, has a fantasy setting, and it usually has an action-adventure type. It usually has a dramatic mood. That's obviously not everything fantasy can be. And obviously, I mean, horror can be fantasy, it can be sci-fi, it can be completely contemporary and non-fantastical at all. So yeah, in that respect, I think I think he is right that it's different. And of course, there's also the fact that, you know, in terms of fandom and where they come from, what was once a genre that was very close to fantasy and sci-fi has now got a significant amount of distance from it. Yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, because the roots of horror come from the, the fantastical. And I suppose... You know, ghost stories around the campfire are essentially uh, are essentially fantasy stories, but they're fantasy stories with a very particular uh, ambition. A very they've got a, a very particular purpose, which is about confronting confronting the abyss or confronting the the terror of, of of existence. And how are you going to cope with that? And how are you going to act in the face of that that terror? Okay, this is uh, this is all very interesting. I want to move the conversation on to to the podcast because we are going to be enjoying your insights uh, into fantasy fiction particularly um we've got some good books 
and good guests lined up. Uh, before we, just before we actually go on today, it might be worth uh, talking a little bit about uh, what it is about fantasy particularly that uh, drew you to it uh, and continues to draw you to it because I know you appreciate it in all its different guises and possibilities and all the diversity of, of different work that's out there. So if you just give us a little bit of an idea of what, what brought you to that, that would be great. Well, my parents started reading The Hobbit to me when I was seven or so as a bedtime story and then Lord of the Rings. And I mean, it just caught me. It caught my imagination and has never let go. And obviously, when you're seven or eight, you can't really make sense of what exactly compels you towards something. I think for me now, it's... I like fantasy as a playground for exploring so many of the things that has brought a culture to where it is, its myth, its history. Also, there's just the fact that, for me, a lot of interesting stories about people and about culture are made better by a magic sword and a big terrifying dragon. Well, uh, we we are doing magic swords in the next couple of months. We, we're talking with another one of our friends, actually, Brian Wigmore, about Excalibur. So magic swords is coming up, and we, uh, we're talking with uh, Tade Thompson about different aspects of horror. So, you know, this stuff is going to be... We are going to talk about this stuff in, in more detail. Um, but yeah, there, there are... But it's, it's it's more than just you know magic swords fantasy, isn't it? It's 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 almost about a world of possibility, wouldn't you say? And even though it has it has uh, the reputation for being somewhat conservative, because it always seems to be set in the the historical past or in a somewhat uh, an analog of a historical setting, whether it's European or, or otherwise. Um, that's not necessarily reflected in in the types of story. There, there is a sense of maybe in certainly in in mythologically based fantasy like Tolkien, there's uh, a need to reviv- revivify the land and clear away the the potential corruption that's spreading from well the fascistic state of Mordor, for example. But the, you know, fantasy can do more than that. Certainly, fantasy's possibilities make for an incredibly broad church. And I think one of the problems, challenges, opportunities of talking about fantasy today is how we have this place where fantasy is the name of the whole genre, everything from Pyrenese to Conan the Barbarian, and where we also use fantasy as the name for a particular subgenre of fantasy, where we basically mean Lord of the Rings, Conan, Game of Thrones. Um, so when you definitely get to fantasy, the whole genre, and you talk about something like Piranesi, you talk about Lud and the Mist, which I knew you did recently, and you talk about the things that maybe aren't typically considered fantasy, like magical realism and fantastique, which are technically types of fantasy. You can cover so much ground. And 
the way you can do it, I mean, it's, it's endless. You can write about revolution. You can write about the past in a way that challenges it. You can write about the past in a way that celebrates it. You can write about the future. Um, and I think that is definitely something I've come to appreciate in the last few years, just how big the genre can be and just how many things have been done with it and are being done with it. I mean, it's it's so it's so uh, wide and so so full, filled with possibilities. It feels like genre, especially when you do expand it to include science fiction, that the genre fiction is surely bigger than let's let's call it commercial fiction in terms of the spread and the remit and the possibility of, of the the stories that it can tell or the ideas that it can convey. Let's say. It's an engine room for for ideation. Yeah. I mean, the big thing about... I, I like the term fantastica for all of the speculative genres put together, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, alt history, and so on, is you can tell any story that... You, you could tell with completely mimetic true to reality fiction, but you can also tell a great many other stories through having elements that defy reality as we know it, but in defying reality show reality in a very clear form. Let's talk about podcasting then. I mean, it's great that you're going to come on board. So what, what are you hoping that you're going to get from joining us on the podcast? I think the main thing I want to get from this is simply the opportunity to pick people's minds and talk about stories of people who know and love these stories very well and get a chance to see these stories, uh, the stories of the our guests and just stories in general in whole new lights because of what I learn here. That's it really. I'm just here for the ideas. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are, I mean, you're well known in our writing group and uh, in our circle of friends as being the fountain of ideas. So you surely you don't need any more. I mean, Pete's Pete's that he had, he's constantly coming to us, which, you know, us by us, I mean, Bean and, other people in our writing group that includes Brian Wigmore and others with crazy, brilliant ideas for uh, a new novel or a short story. And it's continuous. I've just had an idea for whatever it is, something involving gods and monsters and knights usually, but the cons, I mean, coming up with just gods and monsters and knights is not enough. You've got a real knack for identifying strange situations, which in which characters are faced with strange decisions, which sounds pretty easy on the face of it, but to come up with this, you know, these these odd scenarios continually is is quite the gift. So we've genuinely had this question of how do you come up with your ideas, which I think is a terrible question, but it does seem to be a common question. So maybe it is worthy of some consideration. And some people have said. I struggle with coming up with ideas. Now, other people like you are, seem to be overflowing with them. So, you know, everybody's different, but what's your experience of 
of developing that? Do you spend as much time considering the idea, like sitting down and think, right, I need some ideas, let's get some ideation going? Or does it just pop fully, not fully formed, but put, popped somewhat formed into your head one day? There has there have been times when I've sat down and thought I want to do something and I'm not sure what, so let's bat around ideas for it. But mainly I will just read something or see something and my brain will take it and give me a single sentence prompt, usually as like a question. Um, what if a D&D paladin solved crimes? And I think the big thing about ideas is it's like any other form of muscle memory. If you want your brain to keep coming up with ideas, then you have to keep looking for ideas. Once it's a habit, to look at everything and say, is there a story there? Then that's what your brain does. I think you can train that. And certainly I think I've done that for myself. Are you sort of, are you in that space with your blog post as well? So you're looking at things and think, oh, there's something that could be sort of, there's a thread to be pulled there. Yeah. I had a conversation the other day, which gave me two blog post ideas. I haven't done them yet. One is very stupid. The other one kind of worthy, but any conversation can be the seed. We are hoping that we'll have many conversations and so provide you with many seeds. Can't the- wait. The first couple that we've got coming up with you, uh, and these are not firmly scheduled, but we've got Titus Grown, a Mervyn Peake's novel, Titus Grown from the 40s, uh, and I think Lord Fowles Bane, so Stephen Donaldson from the 1970s, is that right? 77, I think. I'm really looking forward to having you on board. I know Bean is really looking forward to having you on board, even though he can't be here tonight. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thank you for inviting me on and I can't wait. Cheers. See you soon, Pete. Bye-bye. See you soon.